This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We begin tonight with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Here we have an insurance adjuster who travels the world at the behest of his insurance company to investigate unscrupulous people who try to put one over on the company. In his work, he keeps scrupulous track of every cent he spends, even when it comes to the smallest items he purchases while in the employ of his boss, who is located in Hartford, Connecticut, a major location for insurance companies. The series is a favorite of many due to the tight writing and the excellent work of Edmund O'Brien in the title role. He had a career spanning nearly four decades. He received an Academy Award, two Golden Globe Awards, and two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. One of the most respected character actors of American cinema, O'Brien gained critical acclaim for his roles in The Barefoot Contessa, 1954, and Seven Days in May, 1964, the former of which won him an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. In his early teenage years, O'Brien put magic shows on for the kids in his neighborhood with coaching from a neighbor, Harry Houdini. (laughs) An aunt who taught high school English and speech took him to the theater from an early age, and he developed an interest in acting and began acting in plays at school. After attending Fordham University for six months, O'Brien went to Neighborhood Playhouse School of the Theater on scholarship. He studied for two years under such teachers as Sanford Meisner. He said it was simply the best training in the world for a young actor, singer, or dancer. He added, what these teachers encouraged above all was getting your tools ready, your body, your voice, your speech. During World War II, O'Brien served in the U.S. Army Air Force and appeared in the Air Force's Broadway play Winged Victory with uh, by Moss Hart. He appeared alongside Reg Buttons, Carl Malden, and Gary Merrill. He was cast as the undercover police officer in White Heat in 1949, opposite James Cagney. He referred to Cagney, saying that Cagney only had one rule. He would tap his heart and say, Play it from here, kid. He always did, and I believed it was the best rule for any performer. He could play a scene 90 different ways and never repeat himself. From 1950 to 52, O'Brien starred in the radio drama Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, playing the title role. And here's the episode, Joan Sebastian, we hear tonight. From Hollywood, it's time now for Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar. We're ready on your call to Boston. Go ahead, please. Hello? Yes? Mr. Semplin, this is Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar? I don't believe I remember you, Mr. Dollar. Well, we've never met. Your company hired me here in Hartford to investigate the Joan Sebastian death. Oh? It's odd that they didn't advise me. Well, they probably will. 
I called you to find out the name of the officer in charge of the case, if I could. It's uh, Lieutenant De Rosa. De Rosa. Do you happen to know what their theory is, if any? Theory? I don't think they've arrived at a definite theory. Still a toss-up between murder and suicide, huh? Okay, Mr. Templin. I'll be in touch. Edmund O'Brien in a transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Corinthian Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Joan Sebastian matter. Expense account item one, 175 phone call to Boston, advising your manager there of my assignment. Item two, $28 car rental and mileage from my Hartford apartment to police headquarters, Boston. What's the matter, Dollar? Don't you trust us? Well, it's not up to me to mistrust you, Lieutenant. These insurance people get uneasy when there's a choice between suicide and murder. Unless the murder motive is the policy. And you don't think there's a chance of that? I wouldn't say definitely not, but the Sebastian girl made her mother her beneficiary. And her mother's an invalid in a rest home. Did, uh, did you know the mother has taken up with an old flame? No, I didn't. Oh, yeah. Goes to see her a couple, three times a week. Crazier things have happened. I'll, uh, get the fire for you. Sit down. Now, uh, this is all we've got so far, pending the coroner's inquest and the autopsy report. Here's a photo of where she was found. Ah, shallow water. That's the bridge? Uh-huh. Uh, she was lying right about there. But I don't think you have to worry about suicide, Dollar. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't. Hmm. I'll buy that, too. I wouldn't say this bridge is a suicide type. It's too low. Yeah, yeah. And there's another thing. I've been on the force for more years than I like to count, and I've run into my share of suicides. But I've never known a woman to do it that way without taking off her coat. Oh? Yeah, usually shoes, too. I've learned that's part of a generally accepted pattern. The Sebastian girl didn't fit the pattern, huh? Yeah, here's, uh, here's the way she looked. Coat on, belt still tied. Shoes. Her purse is still missing. We're searching the stream for it. How old was she? Twenty-one. She's a beautiful girl. Yeah, I noticed that. I try not to, but with her, I couldn't help it. How much questioning have you done, Lieutenant? Oh, not as much as we'll do after the inquest. When will that be? Day after tomorrow. Do you want anything more here? No, thanks. I'll, uh, I'll give you the background we have on her. It's in my office. I won't bother any more, Lieutenant DeRosa. Besides, I like to dig up backgrounds myself. I know them better if I do. Thanks a lot for your cooperation. I drove out to the stream where they'd found the girl's body, and they had chalked up another point against her death being a suicide. The bridge from which she had dropped was a good four miles from town. On the assumption that she'd been brought there in a car, the placement of a body in regard to the two lanes on the bridge made it look as if the car was going toward Boston, not away from it. Five minutes later, I was heading the same way. Hello. Miss Mary O'Neill? Yes. 
The manager suggested I come up. He told me you shared this apartment with Joan Sebastian. That's right. Who are you? My name's Dollar. I'm from her insurance company. I'd like to talk to you about her if I could. Well, I suppose so, but there's nothing I can do now. This is the biggest shock I've ever had. Now, he said there'd be trouble. But I, I, I never thought she'd do anything like this. Maybe she didn't. What's that supposed to mean? Well, there are signs that say maybe she didn't commit suicide. There are? Do you think she had any reason to? Well, that's what I said. I, I never thought she would. Sit down. Any place. Thanks. Poor little Joan. What does it mean? I'm not sure. Did you say you expected trouble? Oh, yeah, I kept telling her. It was the way she went, like she couldn't live fast enough, like, like there wasn't time to get everything done. She'd been like that ever since she got rid... I mean, her mother went into that hospital. Joni was all tied down taking care of her before. What could have caused the trouble? Well, I, I'm not saying she was wrong or anything, but... Well, there were too many men. I imagine that was easy for her. Sure was. Too easy. Do you mind telling me who they were? Well, I, I don't know. Only only about one. Harold Corey. He's gone with it the longest. Harold Corey? Yes, he, he drives for the North American van lines. Sometimes he goes way out to the West Coast. And, well, while he was gone, Joni didn't stay home and catch up on a reading. If you know what I mean. I think I do. She went out with a different guy almost every night. I didn't pry, but she she never tell me who they were. You think somebody killed her, don't you? Would you help me try to find out? What could I do? You didn't want to pry, but I get paid to. I'd like to look at her things. Well, I suppose it's my duty, sort of, isn't it? In a way, yeah. But I can't force you to. Oh, I, I know it's a thing to do. Some of her drawers are locked, but I'll, I'll show you what I can. I started on the locked dresser drawers. They gave up and opened after a brief struggle, but contained on the whole things that might normally be locked up because of their value. Imported perfumes, expensive lingerie, and some jewelry. The only thing that looked as if it might have been hidden for the sake of secrecy was under the jewel box. It was a gold key, a functional house-type key, but with meaning added because the head of the key was heart-shaped. It hung from a fine gold chain. I never saw that before. Never saw the perfume before either, but I smelled it. That's a few hundred dollars worth of scent. And the rest of it, was, uh, was Joan used to such expensive things? Well, not that I know about. Harold Corey sure couldn't shell out that kind of money. Heart-shaped key. It's cozy. I'd like to keep it if I could. Oh, I, I don't know about that. After all, it isn't mine. I might get into trouble. You won't, I promise you. I'm working with the police on this thing. I want to find out where it was made if I can and who ordered it. Oh, I get it. Sure, I, I wouldn't stop you from doing that, even if I could. North American Van Lines. I wonder if I can get some information about a driver of yours, Harold Corey. I phoned his home and couldn't get him. Is he out of town? Uh, just a second. Uh, yeah. Harold Corey's on a run to Philadelphia. Oh? When's he due back? He's, uh, doing tonight, about, uh, or about 3 a.m. tomorrow morning. Thanks very much. 
Expense account item three, seven dollars, drinks and dinner after I checked into the Bristol Hotel. Item four, a nickel, phone call to Joan Sebastian's employer. Edward Hollis was at home and would see me. Come into the living room, Mr. Dollar. We may as well be comfortable. It's nice of you to see me, Mr. Hollis. I thought it'd be better to do it this way rather than bother you at work. Of course, and I appreciate it. The atmosphere at the office has been gloomy enough. Oh, uh, this is Mrs. Hollis, Mr. Dollar. Oh, how do you do? Quite well, thank you. I didn't know the poor girl, but it's a dreadful thing. Yes, I'm afraid it is. They don't understand. Young girl like that with everything to live for. Well, it, it may be even worse than that. Worse? How could it be worse? It looks more and more like her death was not a suicide. Oh. Mr. Dollar. I didn't mention it on the phone. The, the police think it was murder, though, and so do I. I thought it'd be better to save the blow until I get out here. You know, murder's pretty messy. Well, this is a shock. I I suppose I could be dragged into a courtroom along with everybody else who knew her. Edward. Uh, Beatrice, uh, you run along upstairs. There's no reason for your going through this. All right, Edward. I think I'd rather. Good night, Mr. Dollar. Good night. I'm sorry, but it couldn't be helped. Of course it couldn't. I understand. I'll make this as fast as possible, Mr. Hollis. I don't know how much you knew about Joan Sebastian's private life. I knew nothing. I have a number of girls in the office, and it's been my philosophy to remember that not too long ago, I was as young as they are. As long as they do their work well, I ask no questions. As a matter of fact, I have no right to. Sure. From what I've gathered, she was mixed up emotionally. She hadn't had much freedom because of an invalid mother she took care of. Well, I did know that. When her mother went to a hospital, Joan began to make up for lost time. She led her friends to believe that she ran around with a lot of men. But I don't believe that. Oh? I think it was one man. Would you give me the names of the girls she worked with? I'd like to talk to them and find out if something may have come out over lunch or cocktail. Yes, I, I'd rather my staff wasn't upset too much, but uh, I'll tell you. Uh, you'll want to question them separately? That's right. And I could give you the names now, but uh, if you'll phone me at the office in the morning, I'll give you their addresses and phone numbers. That would help. Uh, good. You can call any time after 9.30. I called the next morning and got a list of six feminine names, which I pocketed for later reference. And at 10.30, I was at the home of Harold Corey, a ground-floor apartment on Hemingway Street. Yeah? Who is it? My name is Dollar. Come later, will you? I don't want to talk to anybody right now. I'm an insurance investigator. I want to talk to you about Joan Sebastian. Who have you talked to? Why did she do it? She didn't. What do you mean? It's a mistake? In a way, yeah. It's murder. Murder? You're crazy. Am I? Well, maybe you are. She'd never kill herself, would she? She had no reason to. When did you see her last? Night before I left for Philadelphia. When was that? Two nights ago, Tuesday. I left at five Wednesday morning. She was found Wednesday morning. What are you driving at, mister? When did you learn that she was seeing somebody else when you were out of town? Didn't know she was. Look, Corey, I'm not tossing suspicions around to see how they bounce off you. You're in a bad way, do you know that? You're telling me you think I killed her? Me? I loved her. I wanted to marry her. That's a motive, not an alibi. Get out of here, will you? Leave me alone. You aren't helping yourself with this act. You're making it worse. Get out of here before I do have a murder to answer for. Get out. 
Get out! Lieutenant DeRosa. This is Dollar, Lieutenant. Hey, I've been kicking myself for not getting your hotel yesterday. Well, I didn't have one then, but I got a few things to pass along to you now. Well, if it's the Sebastian thing, save him. What do you mean? It's suicide after all. How come? Autopsy report. There was concussion from that drop from the bridge, but that wasn't the cause of death. Now, wait a minute. The cause of death was from carbon monoxide. It looks like she pulled the suicide where it would embarrass somebody, and they tossed her in the creek to get her out of the way. Hello? You still there, Dollar? Yeah, I'm still here. This is where I came in. We'll return you to the second act of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. But first, one of radio's greatest stars has returned to CBS The Star's Address. He's Frank Sinatra. Frank will be here every Sunday afternoon for a full hour of songs, comedy, and commentary on popular music. The Frank Sinatra Show is a part of CBS's new lineup of entertainment on Sunday afternoons. Join CBS every Sunday afternoon, won't you? Now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Yes, Sergeant said you were waiting for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I told him you'd be showing up. Sit down, Dollar. You didn't seem to like the latest development. Well, I've been working from other directions. Give it to me again, will you? Well, here's the autopsy report. Death by asphyxia caused by carbon monoxide, agent unknown. Probably automobile engine exhaust. That's the most popular these days. Do you believe this, Lieutenant? I believe what's on the report. And how did you say she got into the river? I said maybe she committed suicide somewhere so that somebody would get involved. Maybe in the driveway of somebody who didn't want to get involved. To get rid of her, she was probably moved to the stream. What's the matter? Don't you like that? What else does the report say? Oh, uh, symptoms of severe concussion. I thought you'd be happy with this suicide evidence. The insurance company hired me to dig up facts. If it was suicide, all right. But if it wasn't, they want to know that, too. And I don't think it was. Why not? Well, from what I've learned, she wasn't the type. She liked to be alive, and she played it hard enough to leave some motives lying around. Jealousy, for one. That boyfriend of hers? Ah, you know about him, then. Yeah, Corey, isn't it? A truck driver? That's right. And then there's this. Look. What's this unlock? I wish I could tell you. It was given to her by somebody. I'd like to know who. Would you put a couple of men on it, find out where it was made? I could do it, but I think the police can get it done faster. All right, Dollar, I'll stick my neck out that far. I'm under orders, you know that. I have to be assigned before I can investigate. Yeah, sure, sure. But I'll take your story upstairs and see what the chief says. Let me know what else you find. I will. Uh, say, do you have the address of the old flame you mentioned? The mother's friend? <laughs> Still like to settle for fraud, wouldn't you? <laughs> the dress sergeant will give you his address. His name's Paul Anderson. You, Mr. Anderson? I am. I'm from Joan Sebastian's insurance company. One of you'd spare me a few moments. Why, yes, I suppose so. Come in. 
I didn't know she had a policy. She did. $25,000 to go to her mother. I see. Her death has been classed as a suicide, which voids the policy. The two-year self-destruction clause is still in effect. That's a pity. Why'd you say that? It's the least she could do for poor Mildred. That's her mother? Yes, an extremely young mother. Who's almost ruined her life for that girl. I didn't know that. Daughter was born when Mildred was only 17. She was left to care for the child herself. I helped as much as I could. How well did you know the girl after she grew up? Why, she's a friend of her mother's. Why do you ask? Which one did you know first? I don't see what this has to do with the matter. You don't have to answer. I don't want you to misunderstand. There's nothing to be hidden. I suppose it is unusual. I did meet Joan first. But when she took me to her house and I met her mother, I realized that Joan was, well, no more than a cheap little opportunist. The complete opposite from her mother. As I say, I suppose it is unusual. That doesn't make any difference. Point is that you dropped the girl in favor of her mother. Is that it? It wasn't the gross situation you evidently wish it had been. I realized Mildred's condition and the lack of care. I knew she needed someone, and I I did what I could for her. Did you send her to the rest home? I did. Now, look here. This has gone far enough. You asked me these questions for one reason, so that you can make your own conclusions, haven't you? I didn't know it showed. It does. You think I sent Mildred to the home to get her out of the way, don't you? That is not the case. You can think what you like. Go ask Mildred if you care to. I won't bother her. Do you know anything about a gold key that Joan had? A gold key? No, I don't know anything about a gold key. I've known very little about Joan all these past months. I could have told you that she was headed toward a bad end a long time ago. Now she's reached it. There's no one to blame but herself. It was 4 p.m. then, and at 5, I was standing in front of the North American Van Building on Columbus Avenue as Harold Corey backed a big rig into a parking area and headed for a quick-order restaurant. Hello, Corey. What this time? Dispatcher tells me you're going out on another run. Pretty short layover, isn't it? That's right, I asked for it. I figured driving, I'd get my mind off this thing. What do you want? Do you know how she died? I read about it. Carbon monoxide. Do you still think it couldn't have been suicide? She's dead. That's as far as I can think. You knew about Paul Anderson, didn't you? What about Paul? That he might have been more interested in Joan than he was in her mother? I suppose you're just doing a job, aren't you? What you say is true. I didn't know about it. If I had known about it, I would have gone after him, not Joan. I can't take any more, mister. Look, I don't enjoy it either, Corey. Like you say, I'm just doing a job. After questioning the six girls who had worked with Joan Sebastian, I was still nowhere. None of them knew anything about a private life. The next morning, the police located a goldsmith who said he remembered making the key. The police told me you might come in, Mr. Dara. No trouble at all. We're happy to oblige. Good. You've seen the key? Yes, the officer showed it to me. Oh, friendly young man. I have it with me. Well, sure you made it. Oh, yes, positive. See here, I'll admit to a quaint conceit. You see here? Hobbit scroll? See the letters? Oh, yeah. 
Yes, yes. In my initials, Cedric Foss. Oh. And I haven't the faintest recollection who I made it for. I told that young officer that, too. I don't even remember when. Oh, there's so much work, you know. Well, maybe I can help you. It would have been between seven and eight months ago. You keep any kind of record? Oh, of course I do. I'm bound to. A matter of law. Seven or eight months should have... Uh, let me see. That would be uh, November, October, September. Seven would be March. Uh, eight would be February. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Here we are. Here we are. Uh, oh, frankly, I'm intrigued. How many of my items may have been involved with tragedy? Who knows? Perhaps I'm a curse. <laughs> I was hoping you'd be a cure for this one. Well, I hope so. You wouldn't know what week or day. Oh, I'm afraid not. Uh, 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 oh, my. Oh, my. February wasn't a very good month, was it? Post holiday slump. Reset, change rings high, set opals. Oh, dreadful stuff. Oh, oh. Hmm? What? No, 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 no. That's much too small. Key for a jewel box. Well, let me see, let me see. Uh, ah, March. Yes, engraved spoon. Reset, reset, repair, blazing. Yeah. Ah, here it is. Door key in gold. March 17th. What name? <laughs> Do not deliver. We'll call J.E. Carter. J.E. Carter. Does that help? No, oh, no, not a bit. Do you remember anything about him? No, paid in cash. Uh, oh, wait, now, that was the day Mrs. Brand brought the baby shoe in for placing. She's the councilman's wife. I remember that. It was snowing. That was the day it was ordered, Yes, huh? now, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was modeled from a plain old cast house key. Uh-huh. I cannot picture him. But I'd done some apartment keys, and he said this was for a cottage. Outside of town? It was a surprise for his wife, someplace on the bay. I remember that because of the hideous weather, and I could just feel that wind coming through one of those summer cottages. Now, do you think you'd recognize him if you saw him again? Well, I can't say until I do. Uh, I could try. Uh, well, we may have to call on you then. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I think you've helped. How'd you make out with that fussy little man, Dollar? We found the day the key was ordered, and he remembered a few things because a councilman's wife came in the same day. Why? Well, the customer, Carter was the name he used, mentioned a cottage on the bay. Now, that's east, and the girl's body was found northwest of here. I think she was dumped from a car coming toward Boston from out there. So I think the cottage is in that direction. <laughs> Deduction, yet. Look, if I were going to dump a body, I wouldn't carry it across two traffic lanes, would you? I'm being paid to think about another case. I couldn't sell the murder pitch upstairs. But I tried, and I'll buck for a promotion if you're right and upstairs is wrong. I don't suppose you could earn that promotion by assigning some men to cover that section. Huh? Oh, not a chance. That's county. Division of responsibility. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, for one, wouldn't be surprised to know how many people have died because of that division of responsibility. Expense account item four, $35 mileage covering a two-and-a-half-day search of real estate offices northwest of Boston. Object, a cottage rented a few days before March 17th by a man possibly using the name J.E. Carter. It was morning tonight legwork, but on the afternoon of the third day, it paid off. I found an agent who had rented a cottage to a J.E. Carter. She took me out, but before we went into the place, I noticed a lean-to garage marked up by plenty of tire tracks. Inside, I found a stained rug, among other things. Well, Mr. Dollar, I've always said I personally vouch for the people I do business with. Uh, you'll never know, do you? I should say you don't. You want to go now? I think I've seen enough. 
Let me lock it. I want to see if this key fits. It does fit. Yeah. It sure does. Hello, Mr. Hollis. May I come in? Why, yes, yes, of course. Come in. Well, I didn't expect you to come back. Didn't you, Mr. Hollis? You thought you'd get away with this, huh? What did you say? Well, now, there's no reason to be clever with each other, Mr. Hollis. I know you killed her. You rented a cottage out beyond Mystic River. You used the name J.E. Carter when you bought the gold key. I did that? I'm afraid you did. Come into the other room. Yes, you're right, I did. I became infatuated with her. If you'd known her, you'd understand. I I realized last week that it had to stop, and I told her. She uh, had been going with that young Corey boy. I told her that even if I was single and eligible to marry, I would advise her to hang on to him, someone her own age. That was last Tuesday night? Yes. She left the cottage, and I heard her drive off. Or at least I thought I did. When I went out, I... I learned what she had really done. She committed suicide in the car. You can hardly blame me for wanting to keep the secret. Oh, you've been reading the papers, Mr. Hollis. Suicide and all that. I've been inside your cottage. You didn't do a very good job of cleaning up the bloodstains. You're right, Mr. Dollar. There seems to be no longer any reason to attempt cleverness. I'll make my statement to the police. I'll drive you down. Thank you. How did you find out, Dollar? There was a Wall Street Journal there, addressed to you. Oh, I see. Edward? Now, Beatrice, go upstairs. No, Edward, I won't. I insist, Beatrice. What good would it do? Do what I've done because I lost you? Why should you ask me to go upstairs while I lose you again? I forbid you to say another word. Forbid, Edward. You have no right. I found them, Mr. Dollar. It took a long time, but I found them. She had taken him from me because she was beautiful. And I no longer am. I was waiting in the cottage. And when they came in, I struck her. Is this true, Mrs. Hollis? I killed her. And since there was nothing left, we carried her to the cop. <laughs> Beatrice. Beatrice, what have I done? What have I done? <laughs> Expense account item five, $110, final bill for car rental. Item six, $85, miscellaneous. Expense account total, $356.75. Remarks? I don't know what sticklers the Massachusetts law courts are, but Joan Sebastian was not killed by the wronged wife. She was unconscious but alive when Hollis put her in his car trunk. She died there by carbon monoxide. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd with music by Wilbur Hatch. 
Edmund O'Brien may soon be seen in the Paramount Pictures production, Warpath. Featured in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Howard McNear, Virginia Eiler, Wally Mayer, John Stevenson, Bill Johnstone, and Raymond Burr. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Dan Coverley inviting you to join us next week at this time when we will again bring you Edmund O'Brien as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Stay tuned for Von Monroe's Caravan, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, where Hopalong Cassidy rides every Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Robert Young in Father Knows Best, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Father Knows Best and the story of the Andersons' attempt to get a new car. Mother, is Maxwell House really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so, and your father knows best. Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House. The coffee that's always good. To the last drop. Have you heard of the wonderful one-horse shay that was built in such a logical way it ran a hundred years to a day? And then of a sudden it... Ah, but stay. I'll tell you what happened without delay. Well, of course, it hasn't been a hundred years since the Andersons bought their car, but you get the general idea. In Springfield, in the driveway, beside the white frame house on Maple Street, the Anderson chariot is getting quite a going over, like this. I don't care what you say, Father. It is a wreck, and you know it. Is that so? For your information, Betty, they don't build cars like this anymore. They don't build covered wagons, either. What was that? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, nothing, Dad. Uh, I was just thinking... He said they didn't build covered wagons, either. Oh, he did, did he? Okay, Kathy, just you wait. But if you find the car so objectionable, we can arrange for you not to be annoyed with it any longer on Thursday nights. Oh, uh, I didn't mean that, Dad. I, I think it's fine. Well, I don't, and I don't even want to borrow it anymore. Good, I'll keep that in mind. Look at it. The paint all worn off, the upholstery all faded. You know, that's the trouble with you kids. You don't look beneath the surface. That's where your value is. Do you know there's 30% more metal in this car than in any 1950 model on the road? There is, huh? There certainly is. Now, you see this body panel? It's a little banged up, I admit that. But listen to it. That's solid. <laughs> that's good, honest metal. Dad. Cars today aren't built that way. None of them. They sound tinny and cheap. Dad. Have you seen the fenders they're putting on the new cars just like paper mache? Dad. But on this car, well, listen to this. But Gosh, Dad, I was trying to tell you. I don't know. Why do things like this always happen to me? Daddy, why did you knock the fender off the car? 
Kathy, you'd better be quiet if you know what's good for you. Jim, I'm ready to leave any time you are. That's fine, Margaret, just fine. But you'll find the basket with lunch on the kitchen table, so why don't you... Jim, what on earth did you do to the car? I didn't do anything to the car, Margaret. Daddy knocked the fender off. <laughs> I did no such thing. All I did was give it one or two little taps. Jim, Mr. Gilhausen said it wasn't going to last. Mr. Gilhausen, that crook, he doesn't know any more about fixing a car than... than Kathy does. I didn't do anything. <laughs> Charges me $7.80 to put a fender back on. And doesn't even use a good grade of scotch tape. You want me to get the sandwiches, Mom? Leave the sandwiches alone, bud. We can't go to a church picnic or any place else until we get the car fixed. We can put the fender on with wire, Dad. It didn't look too bad the last time. All right, go get the wire. I think there's a whole bunch of it in the garage. Mr. Gilhausen, a fine mechanic he turned out to be. Father. He's a butcher, that's what he is. Anybody who can't put a fender on so it stays put. Father, may I please have the tickets for the picnic? You certainly may not. But, Father, Mr. Liggett said I could ride with them. Oh, he did, did he? And we'll be there hours before you. You're going with us, or you aren't going at all. But, Father... Hurry up, bud. I can't. Kathy got the wire all tangled up. Oh, I did not. (laughs) There's a roll on top of the workbench, bud. Bring that. Okay. Father, I certainly think... Betty, you're going in our car, or you aren't going. Now, that's fine. Oh, Pooh. Jim. <laughs> Don't you think you're being a little severe? Betty wants to spend more time with Janie Liggett, that's all. It isn't that she's ashamed to be seen in our car, is it, Betty? It certainly is. <laughs> that old heat. Now you see, Margaret, she's ashamed of us. She's too good to ride in our car. I'm not too good, but that isn't even a car. Just a bunch of old bolts held together with bobby pins. Here's the wire, Dad. Betty, that car is good enough for me. And if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for my family. Is that clear? Here's the wire, Dad. Any time you think that you're better than the rest of us, well, we'll just do something about it. And let's not forget it. Here's the wire, Dad. I heard you, bud. Gosh, how did I know? Sounds like your needle was stuck. <laughs> Here's the wire, Dad. Here's the wire, Dad. Daddy. Kathy, be quiet. Gee will. Bud, I'll hold the fender in place and you wire it together. Okay, Dad. Jim, I know what Betty had in mind. She was only thinking of our good. Weren't you, Betty? Hmm? Oh, sure. They're going to have a drawing for a new car and... Someone isn't there. Someone will be there, Margaret. We'll all be there. Not that we'd ever be lucky enough to win a new car. Hold the front up a little higher, Dad. How's that? Okay. I've been going to church picnics since I was four years old, and the only people who ever win new cars are old ladies of 90 who wouldn't be caught dead with anything but a horse and buggy. (laughs) Father, if they pick our number and we aren't there... We'll be there. Now stop worrying about it. How's it going, bud? I think it's almost finished. Betty, go in and get the lunch. All right, Father. And lock the door on the way out. Yes, Father. I think that's as good as I can do, Dad. Hmm. Well, it seems firm enough. I wouldn't lean on it too hard. It's all rusted away on the inside. Well, it'll certainly last until we get home. And believe me, I'll give that Gilhausen character a piece of my mind tomorrow morning. 
Hurry up, Betty. We're ready to leave. Be right there. I'll get the motor warmed up while we're waiting. Want me to do it, Dad? No, I'm perfectly capable of starting my own car. <laughs> now what's gotten into this miserable wreck? Bang on the dashboard, Dad. Sometimes that does it. I did bang on the dashboard. Just cold, that's all. Is this all of it, Mother? Yes, dear, thank you. No good. Jim? Bud, uh, jump up and down on the bumper a few times. <laughs> okay. What's wrong with the car? It won't start again. Be quiet, Kathy, please. Well, it won't, will it? Try it now, Dad. Bud? Yes, Dad? Uh, jiggle the wire on the distributor. Okay. I never saw it to fail. The car runs like a dream, except when you need it. Oh, Mother, there's Janie Liggett. What am I going to tell them? Well, you just have to tell them. Betty? To... Yes, Father? What time is the drawing for the new car? I don't know, Father, but if we aren't there... Don't worry, we'll be there, but uh, just in case it takes us a while to get started, well, uh, here... You take the tickets and go ahead with the Liggetts. Oh, Father. If we should happen to win the car, you... Uh, well, go ahead. We'll meet you out there. I'm coming. Goodbye, everybody. See you later. Betty. Be careful, Betty. Daddy. Yes, Kathy? I don't mind riding in your car. Thank you, Kathy. I'm brave. <laughs> hey, Dad. What is it, bud? There's a pencil stuck in the distributor. I know. That's to keep the wire in. Well, the pencil's in, but the wire's out. <laughs> but fix it. That's why it won't start. Okay. I knew it wasn't anything important. Just a loose wire, that's all. It's all set, Dad. Okay. Stand back. I'll try it again. Yeah. See? All right, everybody. Let's go. Put the hood down, bud. Okay. Let it down easy so it won't shake the pencil loose. <laughs> Come on, Margaret. What are you and Kathy waiting for? Daddy. What is it, Kathy? We've got a flat tire. Oh, no. ridiculous thing I've ever seen. There must be some way of keeping that fender on. We'll be there in a minute, dear, and then you can fix it properly. What do you mean, properly? How can you fix a fender properly with those silly hunks of wire? It isn't the wire that's breaking, Dad. Pieces are coming out of the fender. <laughs> it only fell off three times. I know how many times it fell off. I know what's the matter with it. I don't know how to fix it, that's all. Daddy, there's a picnic. Where? Right over there. Dad, look out. What? There's a bum. <laughs> there he goes again. That makes four times. <laughs> oh. Jim? Fiddlesticks. Kathy, why don't you run ahead and find Betty? Okay, Mommy. I'll see if anybody knows who won the car. Come on, bud. Let's take another whack at it. I don't think it's going to do much good, Dad. Look at the holes in it. Idiotic-looking contraption. Dad, I think I know how we can do it. If we can get some long pieces of wire, we can... No, that won't work. What won't work? I thought we could run the wire under the car and over the hood and tie it on that way. <laughs> 
Bud, that won't work. Well, that's what I said. No good fender. Daddy, no good moth-eaten, lopsided, pot-bellied... Kathy, what is it? Daddy, we won! We what? Yeah! Jim! Kathy, are, are you sure? I just saw Daddy, and they called our number, and we won! Jim, how wonderful! Well, Bud... Boy, oh boy! Bud... Would you care to join me? What are you going to do, Dad? I'm going to show this no-good, misguided fender just where it gets off. And that's right here. Turn it over, bud. Like that? That's it. Now, watch. I guess that'll show it. Can I jump on it too, Daddy? Sure, go right ahead. You too, bud. Have a good time. Jim, isn't it wonderful? It certainly is. I wonder what color it is. If that isn't just like a woman, I suppose if you don't like the color, we'll have to give it back. Oh, no, but I just thought it Father, might... Father, isn't it wonderful? Isn't it simply lush? It certainly is. Where is it? Father, what are they doing? Never mind them. Where is it? But, Father, they're ruining the fender. Who cares about an old fender? We want a new car, didn't we? Oh, Father, No. We want a ham. For some reason or other, automobile people are a cheerful lot. The smiling Irishman, the laughing Lithuanian, they're a gay group of fellows with lilting hearts and names to match. In Springfield, it's Fred Haney, the happy Hibernian. And that's where the Andersons are headed, like this. Father. What is it, Betty? Don't you think it's about time we gave up on this old heap? Betty, please don't annoy your father. Well, jumping creepers. It's all right, Margaret. I'm used to being ridiculed. After all, I'm only her father. Everybody has to get so personal about everything. Why is it such an insult if I think we need a new car? Betty, this is more than a car. This is an old friend which has served us faithfully and well. And you don't give up an old friend just because it's a little droopy in the fenders. You treat it gently, humor it, restore it to health. The best thing you can do for this friend is give it a decent funeral. <laughs> for your information, Betty, this car will be as good as new in less than a week. And it'll be good for another 12 years. Holy cow. <laughs> Golly, the car's even older than I am. It makes more noise, too. Father. What is it, Betty? As long as you insist on having the car fixed up, can we please have it painted? I fully intend to have it painted. A new fender, a new paint job, a few little touches on the motor here and there. We'll have a car you can be proud of. Can we have it painted blue, please? What's the matter with black? But it's always been black, and black is so dark. Well, we'll get a light black. <laughs> Red. Then you can pretend you're riding in a fire engine. You know, Margaret, I should have had this done a long time ago. I had the car fixed up, I mean. When I think of the way I've let it get run down, well, 
I should have had my head examined. That's all we've been telling you. What? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I didn't mean, uh, uh, I mean, uh, well, uh, green's a nice color. Is it? Well, if you like green. <laughs> you know, for a while I thought maybe we'd get a new car. Golly! But then I said, why? Oh, I can have this one fixed up for fifty or sixty dollars, so why go to all that unnecessary expense? Uh, did anybody say they'd fix it up for fifty or sixty dollars? No, but I'm just figuring conservatively. Maybe it'll only be forty dollars. What a dreamer. Bye. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a boy, children showed a little respect for their parents. They didn't spend half their lives... Jim. What is it, Margaret? Isn't that Haney's? I know it's Haney's. I've only been here a million times. Where was I, bud? They didn't spend half their life. Uh, they didn't spend half their life trying to make up wisecracks about their fathers. Now, behave yourself. Okay, Dad. Father. I know, Betty. You want it painted blue. Well, I just thought... You want blue. Kathy wants red. Bud wants green. How would it be if we settled for a nice scotch plaid? <laughs> Hello, Jim. Got the whole family with you this time, huh? Well, that's right. Say, Fred, I'd like to see if we can't... We want it painted red. Kathy. And make the horn louder. <laughs> Kathy, get back in the car and sit down. Yes, Daddy. Fred. Father, look! What? That yellow one, isn't it a dream, both? Betty, I'm trying to tell Mr. Haney... Boy, look at that foreign job. Is that something? Margaret. Dear, I know you and Mr. Haney want to talk, so... Why don't the children and I just wander around and look at the different cars? An excellent idea, Mrs. Anderson. Excellent. Oh, Bud, look at that one. It's got a motorcycle on it. That's for deliveries, Dopey. <laughs> Mother, have you ever seen anything like that blue one? It's very nice to Well, maybe now we can talk. Don't tell me you're finally going to give up on that wreck. What wreck? <laughs> Just because it looks a little shabby. Why don't you face it, Jim? You need a new car. Fred, I'm not spending any $1,600 for a car. Sixteen sixty-three twenty. Pardon me. Including license and tax. I'll take 12 Jim, I've known you for a long time. I value your business. But more than that, I value your friendship. Then tell Gilhausen to fix my car so it'll stay together. He can't, Jim. It's old. It's worn out. You're just throwing good money after bad. Will you please buy a new car? You don't have to buy it from me. Buy it from anybody, but buy it. Are you all finished? Yes. No. <laughs> Just tell Gilhausen to fix my car right this time. Of all the stub... Gilhausen. I'm over here, Fred. Come here, will you? Ben Hur is back. Very funny. Holy smoke, Mr. Anderson. I don't have to work on that thing again, do I? No, you don't have to. I know a lot of places that'll be very glad. Uh, just a minute, Jim. If you want it fixed, we'll fix it. Won't we, Gil? We'll fix it or we'll give it either a transfusion. <laughs> Why anybody would want to throw good money into that wreck? Gil? So we fix it. Where's the fender? It got stepped on. It what? It's gone. It fell off. Because you don't know how to put a fender on. I put fenders on before you was born. But not fenders like your fenders. All right. I... All right, Gil. We'll just have to put on a new fender. Okay, Jim? 
I suppose so. And while we're at it, let's do it upright. Let's paint the whole thing. Get the motor tuned up, fix the lights. Have you got all that, Gil? This time we're going to fix it right. Well, that's more like it. So, we start with the fender. Look, you see this big hole in the panel? Yes. That's where I got a bolt the fender. On a hole. <laughs> so, we need a new panel. A uh, new panel. Go ahead, Gil. I'm writing it down. Wait a minute. Why can't you just... The new panel the... bolts onto the body, only it's all rusted away over here and it won't hold. So, we need a new body. <laughs> Look, Fred, all I want frame you to do... Frame won't take a new body. It's too light. New frame, chassis, rear assembly, transmission. You got it? You got it. New crankshaft, flywheel, feed line... Mr. Gilhouse. Connecting rods, clutch, camshaft... Mr. Gilhouse. New springs, muffler, exhaust, shocks, bumpers... Mr. Gilhouse. Horn's all right. <laughs> Mr. Gilhouse, forget about the whole thing, will you? Just fix the wire in the distributor and I'll be happy. Mr. Anderson, look. Lift the hood, will you, Fred? Okay. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> now, you see that wire, Mr. Anderson? It goes down there and hooks onto that. But it can't because it's loose. Here, you see this? You got a cracked block, the water pump's broke, the radiator leaks, the piston assembly shot, the valves are gone. You got to get a new motor. <laughs> Just because you can't hook up one little wire, huh? What am I going to hook it on? <laughs> Jim... We're trying to help you, and with a job this big, we'll give you a special rate. Well, that's more like it. Uh, what does it come to? Uh, the whole thing? With a paint job. You want me anymore, Fred? Uh, no, thanks a lot, Gil. Okay. See you later, Mr. Anderson. You bet. Go ahead, Fred. Figure it up. And uh, sharpen your pencil. Well, uh, let me see. 1538 to 496. Uh, the whole thing, including labor and parts, comes to exactly $1,678. 60? That's $15 more than a new one. Uh, Jim, this is all on a piecework basis. And besides, with seat covers, you'll have a car that's practically new. 1600 Margaret? Well, I told you in the very beginning, Jim. Margaret! Jim, is anything wrong? $1,600. It's an outrage. That's what it is, an outrage. Well, you think it over, Jim, and whatever you decide, just let me know. $1,678. That's the most outrageous thing I've ever heard in my life. What did he say, Dad? Is it going to be blue, Father? Daddy, the man let me shoot the grease gun. All right, get in. We're going home. Aren't you going to have it fixed? I said get in. I want to stay and shoot the grease gun. <laughs> All right, children, let's not argue. Do as your father says. I'll get another mechanic. That's what I'll do. Haney isn't the only dealer in Springfield. Tell me my car isn't any good. $1,678. Dear, don't you think if you talk to Mr. Haney again... Haney? He's a worse crook than Gilhausen ever was. <laughs> He's ten times as bad. Somebody will fix this car and it'll be good for another 12 years. And another 140,000 miles. Oh, Father. Have you heard of the wonderful one-horse shay that was built in such a logical way it ran a hundred years to a day? Well, we're sitting in it right now. A hundred years? Holy cow, Dad. This car's as sound as it was the day we bought it. It's a good car, solid and sturdy. 
I'll put on a fender, get a little paint, a few tires. <laughs> what was that? Another fender fell off. Well, we'll put it back on. Dad. to get a new car. Fred. Fred. Oh, Fred. You see, of course, if you're not a dunce, how it went to pieces all at once. All at once and nothing first, just as bubbles do when they burst. End of the wonderful one-horse shade. Logic is logic. That's all I say. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Robert Young. Since the beginning of this year, as you probably know, we on Father Knows Best have been working hand-in-glove with the Inter-Industry Highway Safety Committee. Our particular phase of the overall problem was the enlistment of teenagers and their parents in a good driver's club. And now, after five months of campaigning, we'd like to make our first report. And for all those connected with this safety movement, we have news I consider little short of miraculous. Since the inception of this campaign, two and three-quarter million pledges have been requested by the teenage drivers of America. Think of it, two and three-quarter million. In large cities, in small hamlets, the young men and women of this country have proved beyond a shadow of a doubt the basic integrity of their generation. We are proud of them, prouder than we can say. By recognizing their common problem, by driving safely and carefully, these young men and women have brought added security to the highways and everlasting glory to themselves. We congratulate them on a job well done and ask only that they continue their good work in the future. Good night. again next week when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargy and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned for Screen Guild Theater, which follows immediately over most of these stations. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's X-1, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. 
Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.